Hey everyone, welcome back to Stars Like Us. My name is Eliza Kelly. I am your host. And today I am here with Shaheen Miro, who is an intuitive reader, an author, an artist, an Aquarius sun, a Taurus moon, a Sagittarius rising. And I am looking at lunar alchemy, everyday moon magic to transform your life. You may not know this, but Shaheen, I uh, do new moon and full moon rituals every single month with the Constellation Club. So I adore the moon. Yes. Um, and when I got your book, I was so excited because lunar alchemy, those are like two of my favorite words together. This is like, it was like a dream come true. <laughs> I love that. Thank you. So it's nice to meet you. Um can you tell us a little bit about yourself, about being an intuitive reader, about what lunar alchemy is? How did you get started in this world? So I actually would say that um, my connection to the moon and how I got started in this whole mystical, magical world is um, very interwoven. I um, I come from a very eclectic household. So my father is um, from the Middle East. My mother is a <laughs> crazy hippie lady. And um, so when I was about five or six, I started um, being taught how to read tarot cards. And it was really this way for me to use my like psychic and intuitive abilities because I had a lot of really intense experiences. And um so my mom started teaching me to work with tarot and along with that came all sorts of other things like one of our favorite things and we still do this is going out during the full moon and lighting candles and you know just talking to the moon i mean it's always such a, a big part of our lives um and even in the language that we use like my mom will always say like i'm sending you love through the moon you know when you see it know that i can see it too and so for me um, I, I just, I have to interrupt because I, Taurus moon is one of my favorite natal placements. The moon is exalted in Taurus. And I really hope that when I have babies, one of my babies is a Taurus moon because mm -hmm. I feel like that will, they'll just adore me because I feel like Taurus moons love their mommies because their moms like fed them and took mm -hmm. care of them. <laughs> and it's a Pisces moon who I was fed that. through very like I different things. I feel like just some nice stabilizing Taurus exalted moon energy is like, I don't know. I'm, I'm obsessed with it. So I love that your mom, which is represented in your natal moon in Taurus exalted is sort of who ushered you into your appreciation for the mama moon. Mm -hmm. My mom is such a huge part of just my life and my journey. And even now, like my mom is such a big part of just keeping me inspired. You know, whenever I'm working on any kind of creative project or writing something or doing a workshop, you know, I talk to my mom about it. And I feel like having that kind of a connection is really a beautiful thing. Um, so I love that that is definitely something that comes through astrologically. I think that's such great confirmation. Um, and, you know, really the way that I started in this um, whole community, like professionally, was as a teenager. When I was about 13, I started doing events again, my mom. And where did you grow up? Where were you raised? Yes. Yeah, so I grew up in um, a very small town in the southern part of Ohio um, with my mom. And my I lived with my grandparents for a while as well. My mom and I did. And um, it's very much the Bible Belt. So it's kind of a strange place to be really mystical and magical but being in a small town if if you if you've never um, experienced living there there's something very protective about it and there's sort of this acceptance because
because people know you and they know who you are. So I was always very open about who I am as, you know, as a gay person, as a mystical person. So when I was about 13, I started doing events and one of them was a, like an herb festival that happened close to where I lived. And my mom like bought me a tent and, you know, helped me fill out the applications and painted my signs, all of these different things. Cause she was very encouraging of me doing, um, doing this work. And so that was really where like my professional journey started. And I still have clients that I met from those years when I was 13, 14, 15, doing readings at those festivals. So when you were having your progressed lunar opposition, so when the moon by way of progression in astrology is sort of opposing and when it's facing your natal moon, so for you, that would have been Scorpio, your progressed lunar opposition was in Scorpio, is when this began for you. And that corresponds with a lot of um, milestones in different religions. And, you know, like you have your bar bat mitzvah at 1213, and that's associated with the progressed lunar opposition. So, so far, this is all checking out. Just I love that. <laughs> See, you're giving me a whole new perspective of my experience, <laughs> which is really awesome. So that was like, honestly, it was like a threshold that I crossed doing that because then what happened was I started, you know, having clients who were calling me and referring people to me. And I, as uh, I think I was 15, I started working at a shop and eventually somebody called and said, Oh, somebody gave me your number and they were in California and they were like, I want to book a phone session, which started that whole journey of, you know, being able to work with people all over. And so now, you know, I have clients that are all over the world and, um, and it's just so interesting, all the different walks of life, you know, people who have every kind of profession and people from all different ages that I get to work with. And um, I think for me, it all comes down to I have a strong connection to storytelling, you know, and not only telling story, my own stories, but hearing people's stories and helping them unfold whatever their story is. And I think that. Um, that's a big through line for all of the work that I do is really holding these stories as sacred and how we can discover things about ourselves within them. So often like the way I describe my readings is that I'm reading an energetic story. And with that idea, you know, when I read an energetic story, we can then use that information to create shifts and changes in your life because then you get to write the narrative of it. It's not just being written for you. So do you use uh, like tarot cards? Do you pull in astrology? Like, do you have different tools or even crystals that you use during, I would imagine you used crystals with a fucking Taurus moon that you have during your session? Um, Or is it like, do you position yourself in a certain spot? Like, how do you channel the energy that you need to be able to connect with these different people? I will try my best to answer the question, this question, because it's something that I feel like at times is hard to do, um, to answer, but I use, I do use, um, Oracle cards, tarot cards, um, and the reason why is, again, that was a method that my mother taught me, but the way I learned to read cards is very different than I think a lot of people started. I learned to read cards by my mom laying them out and she would say, well, what story do you see? Like, who is this and why are they next to this person and where are they going over here? And it really just became this narrative, you know, of telling a story that I saw that was unfolding organically. And what she was doing was helping my intuition have a place to really unfurl. So rather than it being the cards telling me something, it was really my I almost see it as my own intuition having a platform to kind of spring to life. And so when I say that I read tarot, I think that for me, that means something different than, you know, some people who read tarot from a very prescribed kind of meanings, which there's nothing wrong with, but um, my readings are very alive. So a lot of times, like I will see things, I will feel things, I will hear things. And all that information comes to me kind of all at one time. And so the cards are a way of 
helping me decipher whatever that information is. So a lot of times I will say to my clients, like I'm translating energy and as I'm translating energy into words that make sense to you, then you're applying that to whatever it is in your life because I don't know. I don't know your life. Like I'm not you. So yes, I love using tools. And I like one of my other favorite techniques is working with tea leaf reading, which actually started when I was a little kid um, with Turkish coffee. It's a pastime for a lot of Middle Eastern people to read um, the the dredges left in the bottom of the teacup or the coffee cup. And for me, that's a very wonderful way of working because it's very intuitive. Um, I love crystals, but really I feel like I could read anything. I mean, you could hold like a handful of rice and toss it out in front of me and I would make meanings from whatever patterns that forms. I, I feel the exact same way and I read things the exact same way. And I always encourage people to not feel like they are limited to a certain object being deemed magical because we put the magic into it ourselves. You imbue it with that power. I think that's one of the most important things that I try to convey to people who I'm either working with, like clients or people that I'm teaching, because I think so often we disassociate power with who we are personally, even with the moon. That's one of the things that I find so fundamental about working with the moon. It's really easy to say like, oh, well, it's this moon phase, so I should do this work. And it's like, but what about how the moon is bringing about energy within you? That could be very different for me than for somebody else. And you need to learn to work with that flow more than just, again, these prescribed meanings, because you are the one that's embodying the magic. Yes, I totally agree. In my uh, coven meetings that I do in the Constellation Club, every new moon and full moon, you know, we have general themes that we work with as more creative prompts, but the whole premise and the whole structure, and I guess this is for listeners who haven't participated in the coven meetings yet, um, is that I connect with every, I try to connect with as many people as I can in the time that we have and say, how are you feeling? Because the moon is going to feel different for everybody. You know, we're all, we all are living our own lives and we have our own narratives. And from an astrological perspective, we can use the chart and we can use the moon and the planets and the different cycles to provide a vantage to see things. But fundamentally, the storyline is based on an individual's unique circumstances. That's why no two charts are going to yield the same result is because each person is from the minute they pop out of or are pulled out or yanked out or however they arrive, drop down, they are (laughs) – the stimuli impacts each individual differently. So it's like – you know, I always give this example, but in the case of twins, it's like two twins are born almost identical birth charts. One twin is, you know, a couple pounds heavier, goes straight to the mom. The other one needs a little bit more, you know, attention from the nurse, maybe has to go into the incubator for a second, but it's totally fine. But just in those, you know, three or four minutes already, the charts are unfolding differently based on those experiences. I think that's such a fascinating way to, um, to explain that because yeah, you know, we, and I think a lot of times people come into different aspects of metaphysics, whether it's astrology or tarot or whatever, like whatever path you are drawn to, but we come into it or people find it because they're looking for meaning. And I think that, a lot of times people get lost in that external meaning and they don't apply it to, to themselves. Like how is this information or how is this uh, system or whatever it is, how is it illuminating you? Because ultimately that's where it's going to make sense. You know, like astrology is a perfect example. There are lots of people who will say like, Oh, that's very Aquarius or very whatever. And it's like, but that can have a very superficial meaning, but what does that actually mean for that person? And how does that play out? Because it could be very different. And I think that's where, that's where the power lies. 
you know, is in those differences. So tell me a little bit about how Lunar Alchemy as a book came to be. So Lunar Alchemy, um, it actually started as a group experience that I did um, with um, a small group of clients. I have always worked with the moon as more of an energetic platform. And really, I think of it as a metaphor. So I don't so much look at the astrology, like what sign it's in or anything like that. But really, for me, it's more of like a, a natural magic where I can feel that um, the, the ebb and flow of the moon's energy. And so for me, that always became or that had become like a really powerful way of understanding my own personal ebb and flow. And so if I'm feeling really supercharged because there's a full moon, then that's a great time to work on something versus if it's, you know, the moon is waning and I, and so understanding that personal flow is really important to me and it's brought a lot of value into my life. And so I thought, what if I work with some of my close knit people who I know get this type of stuff to use this as almost a way of charting a whole month of time. So we went through a whole um, lunar cycle and each week we would work on a different aspect of, of the moon and the energies that are there. And um, from that, I saw not only did I see so many personal shifts and changes for them, but I also saw more ways of explaining some of the other aspects of um, energy work and metaphysics just through that one metaphor of the moon. And so it turned into a book. It evolved into into a manual. Um, and I think my intention or my hope was that it would give people a way of working with this information in a way that wasn't so nebulous, like I'm just going to make a wish on the new moon or, you know, whatever. And not that there's anything wrong with that, but I wanted people to have sort of a system that they could use so that then they could adapt it into whatever practice they wanted. So in your book, you start the cycle with the waning phase, right? Mm, yes. And I begin thinking of the lunar cycle with the new moon phase. So that's a really interesting point. That's a very interesting and very distinctive aspect of, and whenever, every time I say aspect, I want to say no pun intended, like, as if I can't just use the word aspect <laughs> with it because I'm an astrologer. Like, no, obviously the word aspect can exist without we're talking about astrology. Anyway, it's, so tell me about that because um, I get it. I understand. I read, well, I read your book, so I get it on that level, but I also get it conceptually separately from that, but it's unusual. You don't see that very often presented as the structure of the, the lunar cycle. Yeah. So that was an important distinction for me because a big part of the work that I do with people, um, just in the readings that I do in the one-on-one -on -one work that I do is really about revealing where we're in resistance and where we're in flow. And so in order for something to be flowing, you know, to be moving and happening, we have to know what's blocking it. So I think a lot of times people start with the lunar cycle, they start with the new moon and they're like, I'm going to make wishes for stuff or I'm going to manifest something. And my question always is, well, why didn't you have that thing already? What was the barrier or the hurdle that was in place before that? And is that really the thing that you want? Like, for example, a lot of people say, well, I want a new job. And it's like, well, do you actually want a new job? Or is there something else that you can achieve that would have the transformation that you're desiring without like an actual new position or whatever it might be? And so starting with the waning moon is really a wonderful way of one, moving into stillness, moving into introspection, and moving into this place of exploring the blocks, the resistance, the shadow parts, you know, the things that are not being expressed within our lives and in our psyches up to this point, so that we can befriend that aspect of ourselves, and then take that into this more generative energy of the new moon or, you know, the waxing moon and, and so on. Um, so one of the things that I talk about in the waning moon phase is working with what I call our hungry ghosts, which is really a metaphor for the shadow self. And I think shadow work is something that is like a buzzword now. Um, and it's something that I've always been fascinated by. And 
and I've always talked to my clients about um, the concept of hungry ghost to describe the shadow. And so during the full moon or the, the, um, the waxing moon or the waning moon, sorry, I'm over here in my head. Um, no, we just had a full moon. We're all, it's waning right now. All of our brains are mushy gushy. My brain is out of control. Um, but during the waning moon, it's a great time to befriend that part of yourself. So really looking at, well, what am I not facing? What am I not owning within myself? Because those all have weight on the other stuff that you want to create in your life. You know, like you're not going to manifest the man of your dreams or the love of your life, you know, or the money that you want, if there's something else in the way and that thing that's in the way is the thing you got to start with. So that's why I start there. Was this a system that you developed through working with the clients? So this was a system that I developed through my own practice. And then, and I think most people who do magical work have like organic practices that they don't really like name in a, in a structured way. So as I started sitting down and thinking, well, how do I work with the moon? What are the things that I do, you know, during each phase and how can I create a structure that I can explain to other people? And so that was where it started to develop into a, into a system. Um, but they were all things that I had been doing on my own that I had, you know, had as part of my practice. And some of them were things that I did without even realizing I was doing in a really conscious way because they had just become part of of my artistry as a, as a magical person. Yeah. I, I really do like the idea and this concept of sort of having a little bit of perspective going into your lunar work. Um, I do think that diving, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> this episode is going to come out not during an eclipse season and you know, we're going to, we're going to be living our lives, me and you and everyone who's listening and everyone's going to be normal. And then suddenly the eclipses are going to start in the end of November. But leading up to that, I'm going to be like, okay, this is the last manifesting moon. And suddenly hundreds of people are going to start sending me DMs saying, I can't manifest? What the fuck? I How dare you tell me I can't manifest? And it's like, bitch, where have you been the entire year? We've been doing this work. So like, yeah, there's a few times a year when we say, let's stop for a second and catch our breath and see what's going on. But suddenly everyone who is not in the Constellation Club, I don't know them, is like banging down my virtual door so upset that they can't manifest. I highly doubt these people are manifesting on a regular lunar cycle, but the concept of not manifesting, not being able to do something just drives them crazy. And it was so interesting in our last eclipse cycle because I kept saying, you know, well, you, it's just two months, you know, like it's fine. We'll start again and we're going to start from scratch and we're going to like get to see things. And obviously like the whole reason that we're manifesting is not because we are delusional, right? It's not because we are pretending like everything is normal in our lives and everything is going to be easy. And I'm have, you know, I'm in $10,000 debt right now, but tomorrow I'm going to manifest a million and I'm going to get a Rolls Royce. Like that's not real manifestation. That's exactly. delusional work. And that's eclipse, <laughs> eclipse kind of shit. If you're really working with the, the lunar cycle, it's very gradual. It's, yes. it's really intuitive and it's really subtle. Um, because that's the way the moon works. It, it, it brings you things and it shows you things and it's, it's a conversation. You know, we're not imposing anything onto the moon in the same way we would not want the moon to impose anything on us. Mm-hmm. I think that's such an important distinction. I love like, you know, talking about it as if it's a conversation because I think that so much of what I tried to convey in this book is how to have a relationship with the moon. And, you know, it's like you can take that 
to whatever depths you want, you know, by incorporating, you know, uh, astrological aspects and timing and all those things into it. But even just having this conversation, starting that conversation and feeling how the moon um, pulls and, and invites you into different parts of yourself, that's the way to begin. And like you said, I think it's, and I, I talk about this um, at some place in the book, like, in order to manifest some things, you have to clear, and this is just a very simple way of putting what I was just talking about, you have to clear the thing that was in the way. So yeah, if you're $10,000 in debt, working to bring $10,000 feels counterintuitive, whereas working to clear out the debt would probably be a better way to start. You know, how do you dwindle that debt? How do you, you know, help that be cleared out of your life and then work on bringing money in? Or can you do both at the same time? But like, yeah, it is very delusional magic to just like, I'm going to win a million dollars tomorrow. That's what I'm going to work toward. Um, or I'm going to attract love, but I'm never going to leave my house and deal with the fact that, right. you know, I have resentment toward my ex-partner or whatever it might be. I think what I find with magical work as a whole and what I tried to, to bring up in this book is that magic in and of itself, it isn't like sleight of hand. It's not just pulling things out of thin air. It's really moving into right relationship with yourself and taking on a certain amount of responsibility and introspection and self-awareness within your life and the things that you're doing. And until you do that, then your magic isn't going to be effective. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be able to make things manifest, but it's going to be very, um, haphazard, you know, it's like you, that's not a sustainable thing. And so another part of what I talk about in the book was, um, how we are all in our own phase that is distinct from the moon itself. So you might find that you're in a waning phase, like energetically, your energy feels like it's waning. And so if you're trying to do all of these like creative, generative, like doing type of things, but your energy is in a waning period, you have to honor that. And I think that's a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp. But once they do, I think they find um, it's very empowering because then they are getting results. And, you know, another part of what I think that the moon does for people and what I learned in the group that I did around this system was that it gave people a language to talk about things that they couldn't really talk about before. So like, for example, being able to say like, I feel like I am in a waning phase was kind of liberating for people. You know, it's like, oh, so I've been pushing myself all this time, but my energy is waning. Like I need to honor that and, and find the gifts in my waning energy versus looking to the other side, you know, mm -hmm. it's like the grass always screwed on the other side kind of thing. Like, uh, but I think giving people that language is really helpful. And, and again, even with the whole concept of hungry ghosts, like I'll, I'll just give you an example of how that can play out. I had a client, um, who was in this group who was working with a hungry ghost that she identified, which was really just an aspect of herself that was, from her childhood. And it was this part of her that was very insubordinate and, you know, kind of energetic and, and untamable. And she said, she was like, you know, the more I started hearing that hungry ghost, because all your shadow or your hungry ghost wants is for you to witness them, to understand them. She was like, the more I leaned into that part of myself and listened to it and understood it, the more I realized that my hungry ghost just wanted like ice cream and a chance to like go out and do something. And I was like, okay, well then that's what you need to do now. And so that was a very clear action step that wouldn't have any meaning to anyone else if it was just like an arbitrary prescription. But for her, it was meaningful and it allowed her to move that energy and integrate it into herself, into her life and to move on to that next phase of starting to manifest something because it was holding her back before. I love naming things. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to name things. Many years ago when I first started doing this work and I actually just realized in this conversation that I haven't done this in so many years with clients and I maybe maybe I will reintroduce it, but I used to have people 
actually come up with names for their sort of like the darkness within them mm. and like get like give them a name like natasha yeah. or like <laughs> or or, or, or <laughs> right. lydia you know like or whatever like it, you know any name whatever you see her as or him as or it as and describe it and like get in just very specific detail yes. and see what that like you know basically almost do like a criminal sketch of mm-hmm. who that character is within you and think about then who does that look like you know like mm-hmm. does that look like the beauty standards that were sort of projected on me through society and filtered through my narcissistic mother like mm-hmm. does that look like the most popular girl in school when i was 10 who i like envied you know does that look like um somebody that is some bastardization of like the different people in my life who each represent something else in the same way that our, you know, our psychic worlds, our landscapes are, are infinite, right? Like everything that comes in is stored. So our shadow selves in however way we describe them are, you know, we're put together not arbitrarily, but like very intentionally within our psychic space. And we can't just like, shut the door on them and say like never mind you don't like i don't like you you're you know i don't like your eating disorder i don't like the way that you have sex like i don't like the way you talk to people like no we have to understand why that energy would have existed and be created in the first place because in all likelihood it it came from a a need you know it came right. from something that we felt like we we needed and we wanted and we weren't getting It's like, and I think that is so beautiful because, well, I think you just like gave a PSA to everybody because (laughs) a lot of people really, um, they do want to disassociate from all these different aspects of who they are. And yet at the same time, people, the things that people want to avoid are seem to always be the things that people feel the most in conflict with. And so it's like, well, if you want to heal something or if you want to get past something or if you want to be liberated from something, you have to look at that thing. And I think just making that connection is a huge step for some people because some people never even realize that those aspects are interconnected. And so there are two things that I I talk about in Lunar Alchemy and two things that I really talk about in a lot of the work that I do. Um, One is that we're never done. So the, the point is never to heal and then you're like, I'm healed and I'm done. It's like every layer takes you deeper and wider and further and bigger and there, it, it never ends and you shouldn't want it to end because you're understanding yourself and it's through that. That's why it's alchemical. Like through that, you're finding these different parts of yourself that are your gifts. And then the other thing that I think is so important for people to really lean into is that you don't want to avoid the negative, like, or whatever you perceive as bad. So a big part of the work that I do and in lunar alchemy is getting away from that really like binary kind of like good, bad, um, kind of thinking. It's like, yeah, you can, you can delineate things in that way because it, it serves a purpose. It's helpful. But when something negative happens or painful happens or unfortunate happens, it gives you more content to understand and bring awareness into your life yourself and know what choices you have that you can make. And it's like, that's such a gift. Like you don't, you shouldn't wish that away. Like if everything was, was just happy and good and copacetic, you would, I don't know about you, but I would probably just sit and turn into a blob and, you know, in my bedroom. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's, it, that's, it's so antithetical to my life to imagine things to be pristine. I, I would never even begin to imagine how tremendously boring that would be for somebody. And I, that, aligns with um, something that I feel very strongly about in astrology, which is, you know, oftentimes when we see an aspect coming up and that in that definition, I'm really talking about an astrological aspect, um, a transit or something that is, you know, upcoming in their chart. And I say, oh, we're going to have, you know, this Saturn square or we're going to have this Jupiter opposition. And they say, is it good or bad? And it's like, 
both, neither, none, all of the above, like (laughs) everything, nothing like (laughs) it's, you know, it, it's happening and it's in, and that is where the magic is. And I think that, um, you know, there are hard aspects and soft aspects. The hard aspects of the major aspects are the opposition and the square and the soft aspects are the trine and the sextile. But like with a trine, for instance, it, where all of the uh, the zodiac signs are in the same element, it's like there's no – everyone is just riling each other up. You know, I give the example of like Aries says like, let's start a fire. And Leo is like, let's call the press. And Sag is like, let's do the whole fucking block. <laughs> and nobody's coming in and being like, guys, why are you – like lighting this fire why are you burning down all of these houses you know like what's the point we need to have a little bit of pushback in order to make sure that we know why we're doing what we're doing and it's we're not like spiraling out of control so even though technically something like a trine is you know a soft or a positive aspect it also doesn't have friction and without Mm -hmm. friction we don't have perspective and without perspective it's just you know, we're really limited in what we can accomplish. We need to have yes. that tension in order to make things come to life. I think that is, yeah, I think that's so important because I think people think that they want everything to just be easy and, you know, and never have any tension or contrast or or friction. But it's like, those are the edges that help you see where you can grow or where, where you have grown. Like without that, then everything is just colors bleeding together. And if you know anything about color theory, colors all mixed together, just turn brown and boring and muddy. So, you know, we want to have experiences that allow us to, um, like, fortify and really like evolve in ways that bring us closer to our truth, to our own sense of expression. And those good things or bad things, however you want to see them are all part of that. And I would say like, as you're talking about that, it's like the good and the bad is really just in how you show up to it. Are you going to show up in a way that's really resistant or confrontational? Or are you going to show up in a very teachable, open you know, sort of soft, sensitive kind of way. And there's a time and a place for both of those, I think. But you have to be perceptive enough to know that. Um, And another aspect that I think comes into play with lunar alchemy, but really with all magic, is what I call... um, agreement, you know, all, all things being in agreement. So you can say, I want something and that's your mind saying that, but your emotions are not in agreement with that, or your body is not in agreement with that, you know, or your environment is not in agreement with that. So we have to find where those incongruencies exist within those different parts of ourselves, because those are the cracks that things are going to fall through. Those are the ways. Totally. That, yeah. Like those are the ways that magic's going to like show up in kind of weird or unexpected ways. And you can either just be surprised and delighted by that, or you can have more awareness around it so that you get more consistent results. And yes, I think that's a missing piece for a lot of people. Like, like you said, like, yeah, if you just like light a candle or, you know, do some sort of manifestation work, it might not come to pass because of whatever energies are happening astrologically or wherever you are internally, or maybe it's just the superficiality of what it is that you're trying to do. Like you have to dig a little bit deeper. And, Mm -hmm. um, and again, it brings back ownership, like in order to work effective magic or to create effective life changes or really to just be functional, I think in your life, you have to have a certain level of responsibility and, you know, a certain level of engagement with what's happening around you. So I think that's, I think that sometimes is shocking to people. (laughs) It's, it's, it's not part of our, I don't know. I won't say our worldview, but I I don't think it's part of our society in a lot of ways to have that kind of empowerment. And honestly, that's even how I work with my clients, like in one-on-one sessions, I'm very good at making predictions, but I also find making predictions are very easy if you're the kind of person who lives a very rigid or regimented life, because it's like, well, 
X, Y, Z, like it's going to lead to this. Like it's pretty formulaic. Just like I'm sure when you look at a chart, you can see like if you don't do anything and you just like kind of leave this to be whatever it is, this is probably what it's going to look like. But that's not empowering for people. If you come to a session and you are ready to have like your shit read and you're like, okay, that doesn't line up with where I want to go. It's like, all right, well then what can you do about it now? And just having that kind of awareness when you come into a reading shifts your energy. I mean, that shifts your energy just in that moment. So it's really about empowerment. Let me ask you, in your practice, how much do you, um, how, what would you say the percentage of you talking versus your client talking and sharing information about their own life is? Um, it would be dependent on the clients. I find that people that come to me in the beginning, um, definitely, I think a lot of people who come to any kind of intuitive reader like to see, well, how does this person work? So there is a lot of like me kind of talking and sharing information with them, which is totally fine. I always tell people, I will tell you whatever I'm getting. You use it how you want. If it doesn't make sense, you can say yay or nay. Like, that's great. It lets me know that I'm on track. But as long as it makes sense and you're not stopping me, I'm just going to keep talking. But what I find is I have people that I work with, you know, long term. So like my clients, people I work with on a regular basis have been with me for a long time. And usually they start to come to the session with things that they want to work on. And they'll say like, this is what I've been doing. This is what I'm feeling. These are the cards I've been pulling or whatever it might be. And it becomes this dialogue. And I feel like it doesn't take anything away from my ability as an intuitive to share information. I think it actually makes it easier because it cuts some of the shit out. You know, it cuts some of like the stuff out. Cause I'm not, I don't ever work with people that I feel like I have to prove something to them. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. I, and I will tell people like if you want that, then you're wasting both of our time and money. Um, but it kind of cuts out this need to like tiptoe around things or invite people into stuff. It lets me know like, yeah, this is where they are and this is where they want to go. Like, let's dive into it. Um, the other thing that I found as time goes on is that people will often come for like a 30 minute session and my regular clients really like to do an hour session, which I would think it would be the opposite way, but people really like to have that solid bit of time because it really does something for them. Um, and it's not just the information. I think it also shifts their energy by creating this really open sacred space for them to, to do whatever it is that they're doing, you know, in the invisible. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I feel like our work is very aligned. I in the manuscript that I have been working on this year, which is now back to me for edits, um, which I have to open that file, Eileen. I will. I promise. I (laughs) I talk about our, you know, me go coming into the phone session with my clients because I I do phone sessions. I don't do video. Um, And it being uh, yeah. It's, it's the astral to me. It's like, I, and I don't need any other stimuli. I don't want any other stimuli. I prefer phone sessions. I have people that like in person, but I prefer phone sessions because it creates a level of objectivity and it allows things to just unfold the way they need to. Sorry to interrupt. I think that, I think that the phone is one of the most magical pieces of technology. I am literally blown away by the phone still today and not a cell phone like a cordless phone with a wire like nothing makes me feel more like magically connected than thinking about a piece of string and two cups on either side of it like it is (laughs) that is truly the essence of alchemy to me (laughs) Mm -hmm. it is i mean that is my next fucking tattoo is gonna be like a string with two cups on either side of it it's an it's an ancient alchemy symbol (laughs) what a great like modernization of the temperance card which is the alchemist to me so i love that totally yeah the temperance card is 
is def- what do you think about the magician? Mm, you know the magician. I love the magician. It doesn't seem like you like the magician. <laughs> I do like the magician, but I feel like a lot of times when the magician comes into play um, for people, and again, I mean, this is me speaking generally because it would depend on the reading. But I think a lot of times it's coming from that place of I want to manipulate these energies, but without a certain level of awareness. Whereas, like an energy like. The temperance, I think, is actually very similar, but it's very alchemical in that you're going through this inner process to affect change. So there's no need to influence control. It's it by its transformation by nature creates a certain level of control because because that's just what it is. Yeah, there's a lot of cards that are are fuckboys to me mm-hmm. in the deck, and the magician is definitely one of them. Mm-hmm. Like the magician does not text you back, no, like at all. Not. Like at, if you sleep with the magician on the first night, like that is it. <laughs> yeah, like absolutely. <laughs> you are not hearing from the magician again. Whereas the temp, I mean, you wouldn't sleep with the temperance first night because they they're sober and mm-hmm. they wouldn't let you. And it, they're they have like a whole different weird like tantric thing they want to do Ooh, temperance (laughs) i love that i'm calling me in a temperance thank god (laughs) okay so the last thing that i wanted to ask you which is just like some real 2020 podcast question is your book just came out in august a leo season baby but this leo season was obviously so different from our normal leo season baby books i mean truth be told i Feel as a Leo myself, I know how hard it is to get things moving in August because everybody is on vacation. So already, like launching things during Leo season seems fabulous, but in practicality, this is just sort of this is a real PSA. Is like August could be a tricky month to get things off the ground. However, y- y- there's also a global pandemic. I'm not sure if you've heard of COVID-19, but (laughs) (laughs) definitely, um, I would imagine has made the process of, of this book very, uh, different than you were expecting. So, you know, where were you in the process of the book when this pandemic started and, and how is, how are you navigating this right now? Um, with this going on? So it's really like, there's a lot of facets to that question. And I think it's such a great one. Um, I will say, like, full honesty, like, it's difficult. I mean, promoting a book in and of itself is a difficult thing. Um, but, yeah, not only this time of year, but with the pandemic, it's difficult because, um, one, I think with a book and in my previous books, a big part of promoting those and, and really putting them in people's hands is, like, the physical contact. So, I've done like a mini tour for, for both of my previous titles or live events, which really creates a synergy for people that I love. I don't so much care about that in the context of a one-on-one reading, but I think when it's something that's a group experience, I think it's really powerful because it builds energy and something like a book is so easy to overlook that particular thing because there's nothing visual about it. So you got to bring it alive for people in some way. So I had anticipated before all of this for me to kind of think about this. But on top of that, I had my own, like my own reaction, like my personal reaction to what is happening in the world. So I had to be really mindful of that as well. So I think that those two things kind of coming into play really created a lot of interesting things to navigate, like my own personal energy and my stamina for what I can and can't do because of what's happening in the world. Um, And also like trying to reach people in this sort of strange place that they're in. And I think a lot of people started this whole quarantine, COVID-19, like with this, like, rah, rah, we can do like all the things we've always wanted to do and like trying to motivate people to do work. But I'm going to tell you right now, people are in like a collective waning phase where they don't have the energy for that. So I think it's really hard for people right now to stomach a lot of things that ask them to be introspective, which might seem odd because this is the time to be really introspective. But I don't think people have the bandwidth right now. 
So I'm really trying mm-hmm. to be mindful of that. Um, but I think that, you know, some things are your like protege, like instant kind of, you know, it just blows everybody out of the water and some things take time to build. And, um, I think with this book, the concept of it and and what it's about, um, is different. And I think it's something that, you know, people are going to have to be invited into and, um, and I, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, well, it's it's a really beautiful book, and it's called Lunar Alchemy, Everyday Moon Magic to Transform Your Life. And if you are in the Constellation Club, if you are a Stars Like Us listener, like you know that these are literally the words we use all of the damn time. So this is a wonderful uh, companion to a lot of the work that we are doing here and that um, I really care about personally. So... I want to thank you so much for coming on and, and chatting with me. Where can we find you and how can we connect with you? And for those who are listening and who are like, I want to get a reading, what, where are you, uh, are you taking new clients? So as of right now, I am still taking some clients, but I, my schedule is very, very limited and it's going to become more limited as the remainder of this year goes on. Um, so y'all better get in. Um, but the way that you can find me is you can go to my website, which is shaheenmuro.com or shaheenmuroinsights.com. They go to the same place. Um, and there's information there. You can book, you know, a session, you can see my schedule, you can send me an email. Um, and then the place that I love to hang out that people can connect with me is on Instagram. So I love like hearing from people. I love, you know, seeing people's like visual journeys, things that they like to share. Um, and I love when people ask questions. So feel free to connect with me. Um, I'm Shaheen the dream on Instagram and I'm on, you know, Twitter and Facebook and all those other places, but find me on Instagram. That's my favorite place. (laughs) Well, thank you so much. Um, Yes, we will see you soon. Yeah, thank you. This was great. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. 